0: and at times graphic film that tells the story of the disaster and its far-reaching ripple effects, entirely through the extraordinary and immersive footage shot on-site in the hours, days, and weeks, and months following the accident at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. As soldiers, pilots, and miners were called upon to contain the radiation at huge physical risk, the Soviet apparatchik continued to deny and distort the enormity of the situation. The film is called chernobyl the lost tapes and we're joined today by award-winning filmmaker james jones james welcome to film school radio
1: great to be with you mike
0: thank you this was uh, an event when i was growing up that was one of those sort of markers in the road of of the world and just something that the the idea of the unimaginable happening, but not really sure if what happened did. It was kind of this weird perception. We knew something was pretty terrible, but the extent of it was more or less hidden from view, not only from us, but also from the the people of the Soviet Union. So to see this film, The Lost Tapes, the Chernobyl, The Lost Tapes, is to bring clarity to something. And it's that that idea that, you know, you know you what you believe, but you're being told you're crazy to think it is in full view here. And that not just for me, but for those people who are directly impacted. How did this project come to you? And I mean, obviously your previous work is a calling card for this particular project, but how did this come to you?
1: Yeah, so thanks, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I've lived in Russia previously. I I speak Russian, so I've always had a kind of fascination with Chernobyl. Um, I visited it about 10 years earlier. Um, and people had been recommending a couple of books on the subject for quite a while, but I'd never kind of got around to reading it. I'd obviously seen the fantastic drama series and had never really considered making a film about it because it felt like one of those subjects that was very familiar and had kind of been done to death in a, in a way. But then when COVID and the world shut down, you know, I was finishing off another film and, and work just stopped, you know, and so I was stuck at home on my own and finally got round to reading these two books, probably wasn't the best subject matter for my kind of mental state at that, at that time. But, you know, it felt like it kind of resonated with our situation at that time when it was this kind of invisible enemy that we didn't quite understand, people being sent out into harm's way, kind of underprepared, and, you know, perhaps governments not telling the full story, and particularly with China, the, these kind of rumblings of, of dis- dissent in society that that the, the government wasn't kind of being straight with them. That was something that always fascinated me about Chernobyl was that it did start, it was a trigger for this kind of opposition movement and then for the collapse of the Soviet Union. So I I read this one book by a Ukrainian historian called Sehi Ploky, and just there was one footnote in the back of the book which referenced some footage which you'll have seen in, in the film, which was shot over the weekend after the accident happened on the Friday night. And it's, it's a beautiful warm spring morning. You see mothers, you know, pushing their babies in strollers and kids playing in the sand and everyone just carrying on weddings happening, you know, completely normal, happy, idyllic life. And then you start to see these white flashes on the film. And those white flashes were because the level of radiation after the accident was so incredibly high, but these people were all completely oblivious. And then gradually you see men in kind of military gear and protective gear coming and kind of spraying the streets. And you get a sense that, okay, the authorities do know something bad has happened here, but the people are carrying on it, you know, in the dark. And I just thought, wow, you know, if that was filmed literally hours after the accident, I wonder what else was captured. So it set me off on this kind of, you know, down these rabbit holes, just (laughs) trying to track down everything that was filmed at the time. And I was kind of amazed to discover that more footage than you would ever have imagined was actually filmed by documentary crews at the time
0: yeah but these were government official government crews right yeah
1: yeah so they were state kind of film studios you know and basically a handful of them were given access to the plant after the accident and the idea was that they would document this kind of great heroism the soviet union responding to this disaster in a way that only they could and it would be the source of great pride obviously the reality that they captured was quite different um but just that reality was never shown until you know years later
0: for people who only know of it more or less from the dramatic series that you refer to that the HBO uh, series let's take a step back and kind of describe what Chernobyl was to to the Soviet Union it was kind of a centerpiece of their their program nuclear power program and it was going to be for them this kind of paragon of the height of soviet civilization in some ways and at least in that respect let's let's sort of frame it just, just in terms of its importance in that in that frame
1: yeah i mean nuclear power and also nuclear weapons obviously were very important to the soviet union you know economically in terms of prestige and chernobyl was the biggest plant, you know, was generating a huge amount of, of energy for the country. And that, that's why actually, even after the accident, people don't believe it. But up until the year 2000, Chernobyl was still generating electricity, because they just couldn't afford to close it down, you know. So people were still going into work in the reactors next to Reactor 4, which was the one where the accident happened. And, you know, working them as regular nuclear power stations. So was incredibly important, as you saw in, in the film, like before the accident, the town by Chernobyl was seen as this kind of utopia, you know, yeah. it was, it was surrounded by nature, it was, you know, a very young town, relatively prosperous. And it was this kind of vision of a Soviet, you know, dream, this, this bright future, where they'd kind of harness the power of science and nature to make a better world. And then this it just all came crashing down, you know, mm-hmm. and it was a humiliation and,
0: you know, incredibly costly in so many ways. Just so, uh, sort of the forensics of this, the the cause of this reactor for to melt. Well, I don't know if meltdown is the right word. Help me with that that uh, terminology. But the what happened at the at the reactor on April
1: twenty sixth, nineteen eighty
0: six. Yeah, I'm sorry.
1: Nineteen eighty six. Yeah, I mean, so it. It's a subject of of much, well, it has been a subject of much debate. And initially the Soviets wanted to pin it entirely on human error, on mistakes made by personnel who were conducting a test. And, you know, the the kind of line was it became clear the test was unstable. They should have, you know, paused and said, OK, this is this is too dangerous. In actual fact, and this is what the the men who were kind of made scapegoats say, is had we had any idea that there was this flaw in the reactor, we would never have, we wouldn't have been there. You know, this was just beyond our our comprehension. And then what's kind of frightening is the flaws in these reactors were known in the Soviet Union, but to correct them would have been too costly And so there was almost an accident at a Leningrad plant four years earlier. And, you know, once these documents came out, it's quite shocking that this was more or less bound to happen at some point. And, you know, and then the other thing which which the film highlights is not not only were, were they reacted, had they cut corners and not wanted to address these these flaws, but also whereas in the States, there's a kind of protective shield over nuclear reactors. So even, even if the worst possible scenario happens, not much radiation is gonna get out because it's covered with a protective shield. Whereas the Soviet Union, partly because of mainly because of cost, to be honest, but also partly not wanting to even contemplate that a disaster could happen, there was no protective shield. So when reactor four melted down, and the kind of graphite rods were, you know, there was a fire and a kind of small explosion. and this incredibly radioactive graphite and different materials were thrown up, and there was a kind of, you know, nuclear lava melting down into the earth, you know, and if that had got to into the water supply, it would have been even more catastrophic because it could have poisoned, you know, the water for the whole of Ukraine. Yeah, that's why they then had to basically rely on, and, you know, the, the phrase was, Basically, bury the reactor with bodies. You know, it was basically just sacrifice people to just get in there. You know, the miners went in underneath just to, to I... build cement, and you know, it's just horrific.
0: We're talking with uh, the director James Jones of this uh, incredible documentary about uh, Chernobyl called Chernobyl: The Lost Tapes, and to see that footage, to 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 watch in real time, these people going into this in, as you said, just insanely radioactive, I think they were measuring levels 500 times above. Yeah. Was that, is that right? Do I have that? Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the levels were were extraordinarily high in those. And, you know, it's, it's funny, because we go back now, and the levels are like, if you go to the wrong area, like there's an area called the Red Forest, which is still it was kind of because it's a, a forest all the kind of radioactive dust gathered on the trees. And when you're driving through the zone, you see your kind of Geiger counter just like skyrocket. And that's scary enough, but the levels these guys were dealing with when they were like up on the roof, shoveling the graphite was just like, yeah, just insane.
0: Well, let's talk about these tapes, the actual, and what you have in the film, not only do you have these recordings, real-time recordings, but you also are talking to people today about the experience of going through what they went through. The film goes from this you are there um, kind of experience to personalizing it and giving it this kind of gravitas that really, I mean, it's horrific enough to see what was going on, but to hear these stories, these particular set of tapes, where are they from? Or is this some kind of secret? I don't know if <laughs> <laughs> want to reveal sources or anything, but... Uh, it feels yeah. like something that they wouldn't want out there. Let's put it that way. Yeah.
1: Well, no, I mean, it's it's been a fascinating journey tracking them all, all down. And probably the title, The Lost Tapes, makes it sound kind of incredibly easy in a way that there was just this one dusty old chest full of tapes and I opened it up and it's like, oh, they're not lost anymore, you know. <laughs> and as ever with life, it's much more kind of painstaking and complicated. And it was, you know, a year and a half, really, of tracking down you know, cameramen who'd been there, or their relatives who, who were surviving, you know, still alive now. And, you know, sometimes it was, the, there'd be a kind of roll of film held in a state archive in Ukraine, but more often it was, you know, a scientist has filmed three hours of this stuff, or this, you know, and it's a bit, it's, it's chaotic, because even the state studios, they no longer exist. You know, when the Soviet Union collapsed, these state studios ceased to exist. And so sometimes people would hang on to it. But, you know, a lot of the stuff on the roof of the liquidators, you know, clearing the graphite, that was um, shot by a documentary crew on tape. And then when the Soviet Union collapsed, there was such a shortage of tapes that there was this big row within the people who were, you know, winding up this company saying, we can't possibly hold on to these because we need to shoot new stuff, you know. And thank God, you know, the the director of the film kind of won the argument and said listen I'm going to hang on to these because someone's going to want to see them one day so it was you know it was an amazing journey and and we'd find you know often you'd see like a fragment of something on on YouTube oh my god where's that from and you'd find you know you'd message a person and it was a kind of detective game of of just finding all of this stuff and you know every time we thought like okay now we've got everything suddenly something else you know it'd be people in hospitals suffering the effects of radiation. I can't believe this was filmed, you know. And that, as you say, that's what's so kind of counterintuitive, is like it was so shrouded in secrecy. There was such a big cover-up, and yet so much of it was filmed. It just seems, yeah, kind of completely counterintuitive and strange. But I think it was because the Soviet Union was a complicated place. There was a push for a bit more openness under Gorbachev, although it was, you know, kind of a bit hollow But they would film this stuff and then probably no one would ever see it or it would be used in a very particular way to make a certain point. But yeah, I was shocked at how much of this had survived. And often we were told, oh, no, the KGB destroyed that years ago. but, But often it wasn't that it would be so and so has got it under their bed or, you know, Alexei has run off to America to try and sell it and make his fortune. You know, it was always just like messier than you would think. And and sometimes it was, you know, one guy who shot some of the most beautiful footage was 24. Actually, his his birthday is on the same day as the Chernobyl accident happened. And he was a very junior person in the army, but his superior officer knew he'd been to film school. So when the accident happened, he said, hey, you know how to use a camera, why don't you go to Chernobyl? He was like, great, you know, young guy off an adventure. And he'd never showed his footage to anyone.
0: Wow.
1: So, you know, and he's still working as a cameraman now, which I find totally bizarre because, you know, you would think he'd be, it's stunning footage. I think just like emotionally, it was difficult for him to share it and he'd always kind of planned to do something with it. But I think there was a lot of trauma attached to it. And, you know, so persuading him to share it with us was, a you know, a long process. But, you know, he thankfully is, is kind of proud of the film now. Um, but yeah, it was... Um, it was an epic process, and even the bureaucracy of these, like Ukrainian and Russian archives, is a whole saga in itself.
0: So, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, I, I just make an observation, may not be true, um, but authoritarian regimes like to document stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then, yeah I guess
1: it's a the way they think of like controlling. The yeah,
0: it's part of the controlling of the of the messaging and yeah. telling their story the way they want it told. I want to let people know that uh, Chernobyl: The Lost Tapes is going to be debuting on Wednesday, June 22nd. Uh, I would say check your local listings, but it says nine o'clock here, nine o'clock on the east and west coast for HBO. It'll also be available streaming on HBO Max. Uh, I I just cannot tell you how how this film gives so much resonance to uh, to the event. Uh, it 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 really goes from kind of a newsreel uh, sort of perspective of what happened to something certainly much, much more in depth. And uh, it's evident just what a shitstorm it was, just in terms of just the reaction to it, the, the the reaction on the part of the officials, the reaction on the part of people who really didn't know. They were having May Day events five days later, right, in all yeah. of this. May Day events, hunt thousands of people in the streets of Chernobyl. I mean, just the just that alone, the 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 abuse of these people knowing what they knew is just unfathomable, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, the May Day parade is is really grim because yeah, it's it's women, children, you know, f- full of joy. And it, it's funny, like hearing accounts of people who were there at the time, they were there were kind of murmurings in the crowd because they were saying, like, usually up on stage, it's full of politicians and their family. And this year. There's like, there's not many of them there. What's going on? And it's because the politicians knew, so they'd all got out of there. You know, they'd gone to Moscow or wherever. Yeah. And but they just did, they wanted to show the world that everything was okay. There was no reason to panic. So they let it go ahead, even though it was actually even that like the morning of the event, the radiation levels like took another spike, but they still went ahead with
0: it. Um, just. Yeah. One quick observation. I mean, even with Three Mile Island, the government made here in the US made an attempt to make it sound like really nothing to see here. And then also Fukushima, you know, there was at least initially like, well, we think we've got this under control. I mean, and I understand the sort of institutional reaction, no matter what, to not run out into public with your hair on fire. I get that. But the, the the level of sort of callousness that 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 accompanied chernobyl is just hard to fathom
1: yeah and I, and i think you know all governments you know do manage the message a bit but i think for me the most shocking apart from you know covering up the reasons it happened and all the rest of it but the people who got sick were told no 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 this is nothing to do with radiation you know your hair falling out this cancer like all these things that your body is going through, nothing to do with radiation, it's all in your head. And they coined the term radiophobia, which was basically saying this it's a it's kind of psychosomatic problem that you have. And they said, you know, actually the, the health effects from the Chernobyl accident are neg- negligible. And it's actually just this radiophobia, which is just kind of gaslighting a whole nation. You know, it's just extraordinary.
0: In the last couple of minutes I have with you, real quick, the the forest you scroll. You call it the Red Forest. Is that what the the, the, yeah. the, How long is that basically going to be uninhabitable? Do we have like numbers I, yeah. on that kind of stuff? I'm trying to remember now, but it's certainly tens of thousands of years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's give this some perspective, right?
1: Yeah. you know. But, but but someone should have told the Russian army because the Russian soldiers actually, when they were invading from the north, they dug trenches in the Red Red Forest which is, you know, one of the stupidest things you can possibly imagine. And I think a number of them did suffer from radiation uh, sickness. So, you know, people don't learn the lessons.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, in in Fukushima, how long is that going to be with us, right? We've not learned the lessons that nuclear power has benefits, but it also has dire consequences if if it's not taken care of. One last thing. Because this is, you mentioned it earlier. This, in many ways, was a significant factor in the collapse of the Soviet Union. The, the, it collapsed only if what four? Let's see, three or four years later, right? Nineteen ninety. Uh, yeah, ni- nineteen ninety-one was the full collapse. So fi- five years, basically. Five years. So it would. How would you describe its impact on on what happened? to the Soviet
1: Union? So it was, you know, there were a lot of issues with the Soviet Union. So, you know, we can't say it was the only cause, but it was certainly a trigger. And within Ukraine, it galvanized a population to demand independence. You know, they were, they've been lied to for years and years by the Kremlin, treated poorly. And it not only angered the people, but also gave them cover to go out onto the streets because they could, you know, the, the Kremlin gave them some leeway because it was a kind of ecological issue so it it basically led to the first public protest in the soviet union and once that happened and people were angry and able to speak freely that was the beginning of the end and you know the ukrainian people are very strong and resilient as we're seeing again today you know they i think chernobyl was absolutely central to that and it was it was only weeks after the after ukraine got its its independence that the soviet union collapsed so you know, is absolutely yeah.
0: key. Yeah, and you go back to the history that Russia shares with Ukraine in terms of Stalin starving the Ukrainian people back yeah. in the 30s. Four yeah. to six million or more people were still essentially starved to death. Yeah. And, you know, so the relationship between these two countries mm-hmm. is fraught with all kinds of horror. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for the film. It's such an important thing to be able to, to watch and to understand and kind of Digest w- what it means not only for the people of Ukraine, mm-hmm. but in general in the world and and the way that these things can unravel in ways that are not just specific to the event, but beyond well beyond the actual event itself. And and I'm, and uh to the people who step forward, uh, my my hats off to them for their courage and for those people who essentially threw themselves on top of that fire at Chernobyl what they did is just, it's hard to even imagine what they went through. So thank you, James Jones for your work and thank you for being here here on Film School Radio. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Mike, it's a pleasure.
0: You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films.